Yay, that was awesome. Hello, everybody. I saw everybody dancing and having a good old time. Look, look what I discovered today. Have you guys tried this out yet? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Here we go, ready? Check it out. Curtsy. <laughs> I wait, wait. know. Do it again, huh? do it again, do it again. Do it again, okay. Do it again. Okay, this is, and there's some other ones too, but this one is here, let me show you. Here we go, okay, ready? Look at that. Oh, how elegant. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm practicing my curtsy. There's there's actually, apparently some other emotes too, and I haven't gotten to try them yet. Actually, I could try this one. Let me try one on Hello Bro and see if it works. Oh, that was a hug. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, let's get on with the evening. And thank you so much to Corsarim for that awesome music. Oh my gosh, my screen just went crazy. Um, hold on a second here. Let me. Oh no! Can you guys hear me? Yeah, I can hear you fine. Okay, okay, I'm back. I'm back. Oh, and look at that! Magically, Hello Grow is up on on stage. So I want to introduce my good friend Hello Grow, who has seen me through many uh, many changes, including a change into a chicken. Yes. At least once or twice. Especially and his assistance was especially uh, memorable. Uh, when we were in the form of a chicken. We chicken. <laughs> I am now named Uncle Rooster, they tell me. <laughs> Take away, I've been, yes, doing, I've been doing raves in Gondor, and people will say, wait, it's Uncle Rooster. We're on a rave with Uncle Rooster. <laughs> Odd thing to be told in Gondor. All right, welcome everyone to the Exploring the, the Lord of the Rings class here on Landerval, uh, being hosted this week by the Coursera. The Coursera were born from the Coursera class online games, literature, new media, and narrative. And aim to provide a home to mature players interested in a friendly, close-knit community with activities running the gamut from music to questing to countless other events. You can find out more about us at our website, Corsarum.org. That's with two R's. Uh, you can click on my name for the proper spelling of the kinship. As a kinship born from an online course, we are excited to present tonight's session of Exploring the Lord of the Rings and continue the tradition of using online gaming to teach and to learn. And so, with no more delay, I present, in his form as Narnian, the Tolkien professor, Corey Olson. Excellent. Thank you so much, Hologrow. I have to say you're looking very dapper this evening. Hologrow, of course, is a guardian like my primary character, Wigand, and I, I've uh, interacted with him most once, of course, in the form of a chicken, uh, but uh, uh, many other times when we've been on uh, instances and stuff together uh, with the Mythgard group, uh, which has always been a lot of fun and Hologrow is one of the one of the one of the guardian mentors of my uh, of, of my guardian. So I'm used to seeing Hologrow in full armor, uh, uh, but uh, he's looking very dapper in his evening apparel here tonight. Okay, thank you, Corsarum, for uh, for hosting us this evening. Good to be back on Landreval, and we are ready to go. It's time for another exploring the Lord of the Rings class, and tonight is a particularly exciting exploring the Lord of the Rings class because we are coming to the moment when. Everything changes for the Fellowship of the Ring. Um, and of course, I'm thinking of that in part historically, thinking back, uh, of course, we've been, I've been doing this in the Return of the Shadow class that I've been doing on Wednesday nights as we've been going through the manuscript history of the Lord of the Rings. And of course, in the, when you look at the manuscript history, when the Black Rider shows up, it is such a dramatic moment. Um, not dramatic within the story, dramatic 
for the writing of the story, as Tolkien had literally no idea who that writer was or what it was doing or why it was there. And uh, the story really took a right-hand turn, and um, and that was the moment when it really got real, and this really the story of The Lord of the Rings was born. Um, so it's a big moment, of course, in the history of The Lord of the Rings, but of course... Within the published text, and I'm going to be trying to keep my discussion uh, scrupulously to the published text here this evening, obviously, this is a really big moment as well. Uh, so we are, uh, uh, we're going to get to look at the interaction with the Black Riders, and uh, I've been really looking, uh, looking forward to that stuff. So uh, I hope that you guys will have a good time. I, I see that there, we, we have a, a smaller number of people in the hall here today. I suspect from comments I've seen that uh, several of you are still uh, uh, downloading the update from today. So wh- while you're uh, while you download and install today's update, uh, we'll let's talk about the book. Um, then we're going to head back uh, to the Shire again here this evening. So all right, today uh, today's class I've co- uh, titled Mordor Comes to the Shire. This is of course. Um, a really big deal. You'll recall at the beginning in Chapter 2, those rumors that uh, Frodo was hearing, one of the things that really noted, that really marked the, uh, the change after Bilbo's departure in those first you know, few pages of Chapter 2, uh, before the conversation with Gandalf and Frodo began, um, we learned that one of the major changes that was happening in the Shire was these, these rumors from outside that were coming through. And it's interesting, of course, that you know, they're, even in the Shire, People are talking about this kind of thing, um, and even in the Shire is is I mean it's it's a big deal because we've seen how how provincial the hobbits are, right? I mean even inside the Shire itself, people from you know uh, less than like you know like thirty miles away have never visited each other, right? Don't know each other. Consider uh, consider them consider the others you know strange and and queer, right? So um, it's it's um, it's very interesting, therefore. It's very important that there, there's enough word coming from outside. There are enough people, even in the Shire, that are talking to other folks from outside uh, that they begin to hear these stories about the dark, about the Black Land, about Mordor, about the Dark Lord, and, uh, and, him, and the rebuilding of the, of, of the Dark Tower. All those kinds of things. So that's where we started Chapter 2. And you'll remember that near the beginning of chapter three, we had Gandalf's warning that, uh, um, you know, you, you, you have to be careful whom you trust and whom, you know, when he was talking about whom you take with you. And, um, of course, at the very end of chapter two, uh, right, uh, right before the, uh, or yes, immediately before the infenestration of Sam, um, we had Gandalf's sort of ominous warning, right, about, um, uh, uh, the, 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 the enemy having many spies and many ways of hearing. Um, but that idea, you know, that idea of enemy, you know, agents of Mordor infiltrating the Shire seemed perfectly outlandish. And of course, we've been discussing how Gandalf doesn't even really seem to, to fear it, or at least doesn't think it's very imminent, right? I mean, he fears it in the sense that he knows it's possible. He knows that they're out there, but he doesn't really think um, that they've actually made it as far as the Shire or even really know where the Shire is. Um, today, of course, we're going to look at what happens when Mordor actually does invade the Shire. And it's a huge step because we've already seen... Frodo's attitude to the Shire changing. Remember that really important comment that he made at the end after he decided to go at the end of chapter two, when he says that there were times when he thought the 
you know the 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 Shire and its inhabitants too stupid and dull for words, right? That he 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 wished to sort of leave it behind, right? He was uh, impatient and um, kind of irritated, right, with his neighbors and 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 in part it seems sort of the provincialism of his neighbors and the self-satisfaction of the hobbits of the Shire. Remember, he said that there were times when he thought that an invasion of dragons might do them good, right? And, you know, obviously that's an exaggeration. He doesn't want many of them to be killed and eaten by dragons. Not very many of them anyway, but but clearly what he's talking about is some kind of, you know, something to shake them out of their complacency, right? But but again, now remember, after he says, I don't feel like that now, right? I feel that no, you know, if knowing the Shire is behind him, right, safe and secure, um, he'll feel like, you know, there's a foothold, even if he can't stand there, right? So he, he, the idea of the Shire being this inviolate bubble of goodness, right, um, of peace and tranquility, it, too, it was too tranquil for him, right? Well, too peaceful for a while, but, um, uh, but, you know, now, that he's leaving it, he doesn't feel that way anymore, and he really values that. Um, okay, so uh, tonight we will look at the invasion of that piece, right? The fact that that piece has already gone before Frodo really suspects that that could be possible. So that is the subject of our class tonight, and this should be a lot of fun. Uh, first, as usual, I want to uh, address some of the questions and comments that came up first. Uh, let me... Let me say, uh, and, uh, uh, James, I think was your name. Um, you'll remember in class, was it last week? I think it was last week. Yes, it was. Um, we were talking about the, the song, the Road Goes Ever On song, um, and we were looking at Frodo's version of it. And, of course, the point that I was making, although it's almost exactly identical, it's not just the changing of the one word, the substitution of weary for, uh, for eager, but the context of it, right? When we, you know, we looked at the conversation leading up to it and then Frodo's uh, uttering of that song and how different it sounds um, in Frodo's context than it sounded in Bilbo's context. And, um, and I, I don't remember which one of you it was. One of you made the suggestion, m- made the, the analogy saying it's, it's almost as if Bilbo is singing the song in a major key and, uh, and Frodo is singing it in a minor key. Uh, uh, well, um, one of our students sort of took up that challenge and actually composed that. So he composed uh, two versions of the song, one in a one in a major key and one in a minor key, and he 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 performed and sang it in both, uh, just to sort of show here's what it actually sounds like. And he said he re- what he really liked about it um, is that you know really the difference between the 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 song in the major key and the song in the minor key is is really just just one note, um, which is of course very exactly like the the difference in the one word between the two versions of the song. So anyway, it's really cool. Um, so I will uh, I'm I'm gonna try to uh, send out that by. Uh, by social media, um, but uh, I urge you to look it up. It's in the questions for Narnian section uh, in the uh, in the discussion board on uh, lotro.mythgard.org. So uh, I encourage you to go to go uh, give that a listen. It's pretty awesome. Um, so that's the that's the first thing. Second, all right, two quick things here. Um, Halstein, uh, following up on the idea that we that I've already that was just alluding to. Um, 
He says, I'm listening to episode 10 and the talk of finding the Shire and Gandalf not thinking they need to hurry. Eriador, Minhiriath, and Enidwyth don't seem to be densely settled. There are no major settled areas beside the Shire and Breland, as far as I know. In the unlikely event that a black rider does find someone who knows, how likely is it that the person would tell? Or maybe they would lie and send the rider in the wrong direction. Also, to what extent do ordinary people or hobbits know of the enemy and his shenanigans? Um... Halstein, uh, that's exactly right. Of course, Halstein points out something that I, I felt that I was actually underplaying in our discussions of that. I was emphasizing the distance, right? Just sort of the distance and how hard it would be to wander around on foot or on horseback, right? Uh, just not even knowing really in what direction, other than vaguely west and vaguely northish, uh, you would uh, you would you would have to go. Um, how long it takes even just to travel. Uh, even if you know where you're going, right? I mean, remember when the when the party was in uh, was in Eregion and they were they were doing the whole Carothros versus Moria. You know, they were in that situation and they were thinking about going down to Moria after Carothros didn't work out. And Boromir says, "Let's go down to the Gap of Rohan, right? Or better yet, let's go even further south, right, and go down through like uh, 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 Lebanon and 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 then come back up uh, to Minas Tirith that way." And Gandalf says, "We could spend months in such a journey, right?" So that's Again, knowing where they're going, right, and knowing the road to get there, it would still take them months to go around that way. So anyhow, um, but of course, Halstein points out something that I think I was even underplaying, and that's the fact that not only are there huge spaces that they have to travel with no maps and no way really of knowing whether they're going the right way or how to find out what they're... But the places that they're going, the only source of information they have is word of mouth. They just have to ask, ask people, Right. Um, and there are no people, as Austin points out. Uh, I mean, and, and it, m- most of Eriador um, is Halstein, I, 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 I think, is is uh, um, these. Uh, he says they don't seem to be densely settled. That's an understatement, actually. They're largely abandoned. I mean, they're almost completely desolate, in fact. So, uh, you know, there may be some wandering people here and there, but, um, but you're not going to find very many people at all to ask. What, what Halstein's observation really made me uh, recognize, I would say, um, is... Uh, oh, thanks, Gravity, for posting that in... Uh, uh, Gravity has just posted the link to the... Uh, to the song I was I was telling you guys about there in the in the Discord chat. Anyway, um, it's it's so sort of unlikely that um, uh, that they would be successful at all in finding the Shire that Tolkien took it on himself to explain it. Um, if you've read the um, the Unfinished Tales, right? Um, you will remember the Hunt for the Ring chapter of Unfinished Tales. That is when Tolkien actually tells the story of what did the Black Riders do, right? So when the Black Riders left left uh, uh, Minas Morgul heading for the Shire, how did they get to the Shire? How did they find their way, right? Um, and we see, of course, there there's one thing that Gandalf doesn't know that the Black Riders do, and that is that Saruman is their ally, Right, so they go to Saruman and they ask Saruman. Now Saruman doesn't help them, um, and he doesn't really tell them where the Shire is. And they don't really know. So in fact, Tolkien explains that the way that the story that he ends up telling in the Hunt for the for the Ring chapter of Unfinished Tales is that there's a guy, there's a spy of Saruman's 
who's heading up from this. Because remember, Saruman also happens to know about the Shire. He's one of the only other members of the Wise, other than Gandalf, who knows anything about the Shire. And he only knows about it because he is, uh, uh, because he's emulating Gandalf, right? He knows that Gandalf has taken an interest, and so he's he's himself trying to take an interest to figure out what Gandalf, what Gandalf sees in the Shire, right? And these, uh, and these funny little people. So, uh, anyway, but, but he does know about the Shire, and he's been spying out the Shire. Saruman has. So he's spend, sending one of his spies up into the north, and the Ringwraiths capture his spy, right? So Saruman's spy is the one who then, under duress, uh, uh, and under the terror of the Ringwraiths, tells them everything he knows, right? So he's the one who directs them up to Bree and for, and to uh, uh, to, the, to the Shire from there. So the only reason that the Black Riders, again, according to the story, as Tolkien worked it out later on, um, the only the only way the Black Riders did get as far as they got as quickly as they got um, was that they happened to get this information. So there was this sort of stroke of luck on the enemy's side that enabled them uh, to find the Shire much more quickly than anyone would have expected. Again, it's just sort of another thing which sort of goes to show, turned out that the enemy was a lot closer than Gandalf thought, but he had lots of reasons not to be worried, even though it turned out not to be true. Oh, sorry about that. Um, okay. Uh, very good. Uh, so the other, no, it's the other one. Uh, question about the talking fox. I, hang on a second. I think I missed a, uh, I f- I missed a question here. Uh, hmm, hmm, hmm. Um, okay. No, I don't think so. I thought I saw something else. Okay. Um, second, then. Uh, Ambrosius Aurelianus wanted to ask about the thinking fox. Regarding the thinking fox, who is supposed to be the narrator here? Uh, is this still Frodo's account of his story? Um, so, of course, uh, uh, Ambrosius Aurelianus is asking me about, you know, he observed in his comment that I spoke about the sort of the real world history of the thinking fox, right? How that goes back to the very earliest draft of, of the story when it was, when it was in Tolkien's mind, purely a uh, sort of se- a sequel to The Hobbit, right? Um, but, um, but he wants to know the, within the frame, textual history of this passage, right? So according to the story, within the frame of the story, who's meant to be the narrator? Is this still Frodo's account of his story? And if so, how would he know what a fox is thinking? Did he have some later unwritten of meeting with Radagast where Radagast tells him something along the lines of, oh yes, a fox told me that he saw you and your friends camping out under the stars back at the beginning of your journey. Bit of luck, he was a friend of mine. Well, see, Ambrosius, it's clearly... That, that clearly can't have happened, right? Because the narrator explicitly says that the fox never found out more about it, and doubtless Radagast would have told him what happened, right, and explained the whole thing to him if he had happened to speak with him. So clearly, uh, clearly that didn't happen, right? Um, this is a great question, though. So let me kind of back up one step here, maybe two steps, and say, okay, what is the frame of the story? You'll, you will recall, of course, that at the end of the book, Frodo writes the story. Right, Frodo uh, uh, hands Sam the book at the end, um, and Sam's remark is, "You know, why, sir? You've nearly finished it, right?" And Frodo says, "I've quite finished it, except he, except he tells Sam that the last pages are for you, right?" So uh, Sam is involved and writes the end, uh, but Frodo has written almost all the rest of it. 
But wait, it's not just that. Um, because, of course, the text that we have is not the text that Frodo wrote, right? The text that we have is based on copies and later versions, later uh, annotated and redacted versions of what Frodo wrote, right? So there's additional stuff added in, as, for instance, the, uh, the, the important manuscript that was uh, from Minas Tirith, right? Written by Findigil, King's writer, as we're told in the... Uh, in the prologue, and we'll get to that stuff later on. Um, but also, don't forget, there's another step. It's not even that text that we're getting. Um, the The fictional frame says that Tolkien. Remember, Tolkien's translating this, right? He he's not making up this story. Um, this is you know there's 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 an extensive manuscript history which ultimately goes back to the Red Book of Westmarch, but it's not directly from you know the Red Book of Westmarch itself did not survive. Remember, this is a very ancient world, so that didn't survive. But um, but uh, other versions of the story that were ultimately based on the Red Book on, at several removes did survive. Um, and one of those has eventually come into the hands of the modern editor, J.R.R. Tolkien, who has translated it uh, out of the Westron into modern English for our benefit. Okay, so the answer to who is the narrator of the Lord of the Rings is Tolkien. Um, that's why, and we've talked about this before in the context of anachronisms, right? That's why you get the express train in chapter one, because that's the modern narrator Tolkien talking to us, right? Um, in order to try to convey, to, to explain what's going on. You know, so it's, um, it's, a, it's a translation, but it appears to be, in places, a kind of a loose translation. At least, again, that's the... and But that's the mode of The Hobbit. That's the narrative mode of The Hobbit. We get that kind of narr- narratorial intervention much more often in The Hobbit, with the modern narrator speaking to us, the readers, about the story that he's telling, which is itself, uh, 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 you know, from a, from a much older time. So... So again, so the answer to this question is more complicated. So, so back to who's talking there, right? Who exactly is giving us... And I think we have to reconcile ourselves to the fact that the dialogue of the... The internal monologue of the fox, right, is made up, right? That is, it's purely speculative. I don't believe it's... I don't think this is testimony from Radagast or anybody else who speaks fox and has uh, 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 found the, 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 the first person... Uh, Volpine testimony, right, of the fox and, and, and what exactly he was thinking. I don't think that that happened. Um, I think this is mere speculation. Uh, whoever penned that phrase within the frame of the book is clearly speculating about what was in the fox's head, right? So who is it exactly that was doing the speculation? And, uh, you know, is it Frodo? Is it one of the later scribes? Is it Tolkien, the modern translator? Right? I would guess Tolkien, the modern translator. Honestly. I don't think that Frodo wrote the business about the thinking fox. Um, I think it's a, a snarky comment interjected by Tolkien, the modern translator. Just like Tolkien, the modern translator, interjects many snarky comments and comparisons and stuff like that in The Hobbit, right? Again, that's where all that modern language comes from, especially in the first edition, where Elrond is kind as Christmas, for instance, instead of kind as summer, which is what it says in the the version of The Hobbit that we've all read. Um, 
but the first edition said kind is Christmas, right? Even though there is no Christmas in Middle-earth and there was no claim that there was Christmas in Middle-earth. But you see what I mean? It's the narrator making that comparison, right? The narrator speaking to us in order to explain who is this Elrond person. He's not just translating that passage word for word. Um, so there's, as I say, it's kind of an active translation. He's taking this and he's sort of making a modern narrative out of it and explain and filling in gaps for us. Um, I think that that's what was happening. That's my understanding anyway. Again, because it fits in, it fits in with what we see in The Hobbit. And that's the kind of thing that the narrator in The Hobbit does quite a lot, actually. Um, so that's my so that so that's my thing. So I don't think Findigil King's writer, I don't think Frodo wrote the Thinking Fox piece. Maybe they could have done it. Could have been a piece of whimsy on Frodo's part or Findigil King's writer. Uh, but I don't I don't suspect that. That sounds to me totally like a, uh, uh, like the voice of somebody who would who would compare fireworks to express trains or screams coming out of Bilbo to an express train coming out of a tunnel, which is what, again, the, the metaphor he used uh, in The Hobbit. Okay. All right. Um, let's, um, let's move on. Oh, several of you are commenting on the uh, field trip from last time. We'll get there. I'll talk about, the, we'll, we'll talk about that during the field trip today. I don't want you to think I'm going to totally neglect that. All right. Let's move on to the text. This is our first encounter now with the Black Riders. So we left Frodo and Sam and Pippin on the road going to the east um, on the uh, on the skirts of the Green Hill Country. We've looked at Frodo's state of mind and uh, looking especially at the difference between uh, Frodo and Sam and then Pippin, who's just like on a fun camping trip, right? So here's Frodo. <clears throat> oh, sorry. We start with Sam. I can hear a pony or a horse coming along the road behind, said Sam. They looked back, but the turn of the road prevented them from seeing far. I wonder if that is Gandalf coming after us, said Frodo. But even as he said it, he had a feeling that it was not so, and a sudden desire to hide from the view of the rider came over him. It may not matter much, he said apologetically, but I would rather not be seen on the road, by anyone. I am sick of my doings being noticed and discussed. And if it is Gandalf, he added as an afterthought, we can give him a little surprise to pay him out for being so late. Let's get out of sight. Okay. What do you notice here? What do you notice in this passage? Um, Sam thinks that he hears a pony or a horse coming along the road behind. Now, keep in mind, um, they're not on the main road, right? Remember that this is not the east-west road that, you know, this is not the dwarf road that goes through into the Blue Mountains and out across the Brandywine Bridge and on to Bree. That is the road that you would mostly find strangers, right? So non-hobbits are going to be almost exclusively on that road. Um, so, you know, dwarves traveling through or whatever. This is, it's not exactly a back road. I mean, as you can see on the, on the map, on the Shire map, it's a fairly major road. Um, but it's still, it's just the road from Tuckborough throughout towards Buckland, essentially. That runs parallel with uh, with the main east-west road. Um, so there's really no reason to suspect that this is an outsider from the Shire coming down the 
coming down the road. It is nighttime, right? Um, they have reason to. Uh, th- there's there's some reason for them to be kind of suspicious or worried, maybe, but not not really. Remember, they have no reason to think that any agents of the enemy are catching up with them, right? Um, we saw Frodo's reference earlier on to uh, too many ears pricking and eyes prying, right? And it's why he wanted to sneak off cross-country um, and not go out by the main roads. Um, so they didn't go out by the main roads. Um, but again, there he seems to be thinking not about spies of the enemy, but about nosy neighbors. Um, what interests me here, as I suggest in my subtitle, is Frodo's premonition, Right? I wonder if that is Gandalf coming after us, but even as he said it, he had a feeling that it was not so, and a sudden desire to hide from the view of the rider came over him. He just has a sense, right? He just has a sense um, that uh, he, he needs to hide, that he wants to hide. I'm not sure where this premonition comes from. Exactly. Um, my suspicion is, th- I don't think, I mean, of course, whenever Frodo has this, like, mysterious urge to do something, there's always, um, there's always the question, like, is this the ring acting on him, right, or through him? Um, so that's always a question, you know, that comes up. I don't, th- certainly don't think that this is the ring here, um, I think that this is him reacting, reacting to sort of sensing in some way the presence of the rider. Notice that he uh, he's the only one who seems to be nervous, right? He's the only one who has this reaction. Sam hears the 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 horse coming, right? But doesn't seem especially worried. It's his idea. It's Frodo's idea to run off the side of the road and hide. The others don't seem to want. Don't seem that they're suggesting to uh, to do that at all, right? Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Goodness. I was in the wrong... I was wondering. I wasn't getting any comments. I'm like, I wonder what's going on here. I was, I was in the wrong, I was in the wrong forum. I apologize. Um, yeah, Grim, exactly. I suspect that the Nazgul do have, it's like that, that sort of the dread of the Nazgul that Frodo perceives and exactly Grim, just as I was thinking too, I think that he, he feels it more acutely than anybody else does. Sam might hear the horse coming first, right? Um, and later on, Frodo was going to comment that Sam's senses seem to be rather sharper than his, right? You know, Sam has good ears and good eyes, um, but it's Frodo who first gets that uneasy feeling, right, that leads him to want to ditch off to the side of the road. And I do think that this is uh, uh, this is the first and, and quite a very early sign that there is a different level of sensitivity to Frodo, right, that he has already been changed in some sense, I don't want to say attuned, right? That that seems a little too overdramatic, but you see what I mean? A sort of attuned to the servants of the enemy is what I is what I want to say, but that's not quite the right way um, uh, to say it. I think that he 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 seems to be more, uh, even though he himself doesn't understand it, right? This sudden desire comes over him, and he doesn't know why it comes over him. Um, notice his apologetic approach 
it may not matter much, but I would rather not to be seen on the road. He's kind of embarrassed about it, right? I mean, he feels like he has to give an explanation. I'm sick of my doings being discussed and noticed, right? So indulge me. Um, Tony is asking if this could be another power at work on Frodo. Tony, I think it's possible. I certainly don't rule that out. Um, you know, has he been sort of inspired with this desire to hide from the view of the writer? Uh, that seems to me conceivable. Um, I mean, I don't see any real, any, any, any very positive, um, evidence. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, Valori is saying he's not embarrassed. This is just how, uh, it's just how, how, how British people ask other people to do things. Um, Right. Yes. No, I hear that. I hear that. Um, I don't mean that he's like deeply embarrassed, but there is the the apologetic note, right, that the narrator points out there. Um, And the fact that he has to be apologetic about this at all shows that obviously Sam and Pippin are not in the same spot. Right. They're not. It wouldn't occur to them. Um, And Frodo clearly thinks it's like, sufficiently weird to run off the road and ditch in the bushes. That is, this is clearly not part of their plan, right? When Pippin signed up for this camping trip, right, you know, when he went off on this uh, on this walking party, um, ditching into the bushes every time somebody else came down the road was apparently not part of the system. That's the kind of thing that you'd think they might have talked about, like, okay, guys, like we want to keep a low profile here. We don't want anybody to see us, so let's try to stay out of sight of everybody. There seems not even to have been any agreement on that point. Frodo seems to have set off, you know, overtly anyway, as if this were really just another walking party. He's trying to keep the secret still uh, from Pippin, right, and Sam. Um, both the secret of the ring and the secret of his departure, the secret that there is any kind of quest going on here, right? Um, so uh, that, I think, is is an interesting thing. And then there's that comment about... Um, yeah, <laughs> Stephanie says that's his more, his more Hobbit-like half coming through. Oh, Stephanie, let's not go over that paragraph again. Stephanie's thinking of the this paragraph uh, in The Return of the Shadow that just kind of makes your head spin that we talked about on Wednesday night for a significant amount of time. But yes, it is his, 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 his hobbitly half. Um, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Catapulta, which is, uh, by the way, a fantastic name, uh, says by making Frodo, uh, more sort of attuned to the Nazgul little by little, uh, it's like we start to feel the danger of him becoming, becoming like them. Um, as if we're being pre- prepared to feel this pity for him when he's in danger. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not that dramatic yet. I mean, he's not real. But, but, but remember, that's where the conversation with Gandalf started, right? With Gandalf warning him, like, hey, man, this is going to affect you, right? Um, you are in danger. This thing is, this thing is, uh, is going to destroy you eventually, right? Um, if nothing is done. So, um, so you're right that that seed is sort of planted in us right at the beginning to, to acknowledge that this kind of thing is happening with him. Um, yeah, yeah. Lincoln says it feels like, uh, Frodo doesn't understand his own premonition and has to justify it to himself by adding the part about pranking Gandalf if it's him. Um, yeah, I mean, that seems like it's like an excuse, right? He has that afterthought about giving Gandalf a little surprise to pay him out for being so late, right? Um, and yeah, it's, it's almost as if, you know, Lincoln, whether it's he doesn't understand it himself, which I doubt he does, 
Or again, he doesn't want to have to explain that, right? He doesn't want to say to Sam and Pippin, like, I have a creepy feeling. I'm, I, I, we should obey my, my strange, creepy feeling and get out of sight. Um, instead, he comes up with this other excuse that will sort of fit the, the idiom, right? Um, playing a joke on Gandalf to pay him out for being late is uh, just the kind of thing that Pippin, at least, would be totally into, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, interesting, yeah, Matt uh, DeForest says another possible reason for his embarrassment. Hobbits are, almost, hobbits are almost the opposite of antisocial. Bilbo feels the need to answer the door to annoying neighbors. Frodo needs an excuse not to be social. Yeah, Matt, I mean, I agree. It's It, it would be um, somewhat countercultural to say we're going to go on a walking party and on this party we're going to hide from every anytime there's another you know another an, another human being right anytime another another hobbit comes into sight we're going to we're going to hide until they're past i mean that would be odd behavior right um yeah yeah um yeah, exactly. Uh, James was just saying the same thing. It is generally anti-social. He says, is it generally antisocial in the Shire to avoid people? People seem understanding, right, of Bilbo's desire, for instance, to avoid the Sackville Bagginses, and we'll see that story later on. Um, but, uh, but yeah, actually, I kind of think it is. Um, the sociability does seem to be a pretty uh, general... Um, uh, uh, I mean, I'm thinking of, I mean, I have to think of every example that we have, right? I mean, what do we see of Hobbit society, right? We see our view of Hobbit society has been dominated so far. I mean, outside of Baggin itself has been dominated by three things, right? Two general conversations down the pub and the party, right? That's pretty much Hobbit society as we've gotten it so far, um, People are real, and and think about the future. What we're gonna get, right? Think about Farmer Maggot, and the the random visit to Farmer Maggot. Um, not for again, if if you're following my Return of the Shadow class this past week, we looked at um, we looked at crazy homicidal Farmer Maggot, uh, which was a a version of Farmer Maggot who did not survive into the final published version, but um, but the Farmer Maggot that we get in the published version, he clearly he lives in a sort of an isolated way, but he's quite eager to socialize and be hospitable. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that that's, um, yeah, James, exactly. James says in the past when Bilbo and Frodo walked the Shire, they probably would have looked forward to meeting strangers. Yeah. Uh, you know, random encounters on the road with people that you don't know is kind of a perk of a walking tour. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Oh, man. Guibrella, like, you wouldn't even believe, right? There was, I mean, Tolkien wrote a, a, a brief version of the farmer, of, of a farmer maggot scene in which Bilbo and farmer maggot almost came to blows. Like, they were going to have a duel. Uh, seriously, they were going to fight to the death. There was going to be a death match between Bilbo Baggins and Farmer Maggot. I'm not even making that up. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, 
it's it was it's it's kind of awesome. I love Farmer Maggot. The published version is way better, but that version is hilarious. Uh, again, a little plug for the Return of the Shadow class. You never know what you're going to find in the Return of the Shadow class. Um, yeah, Oakwig says the alternate universe Farmer Maggot. Exactly, exactly. Um, okay, let's keep going. I'm never going to get anywhere at this rate. Whoop. Okay, Black. Okay. The other two ran quickly to the left and down into a little hollow not far from the road. There they lay flat. Frodo hesitated for a second. Curiosity, or some other feeling, was struggling with his desire to hide. The sound of hoofs drew nearer. Just in time, he threw himself down on a patch of long grass behind a tree that overshadowed the road. Then he lifted his head and peered cautiously above one of the great roots. By the way, you see how close he is? Right? I mean, this is probably a very large tree, and so it can overshadow the road from a little distance away, but he is behind a tree which whose branches stretch over the road, right? So he's quite close, just a few yards away from the road. Then he lifted his head and peered cautiously above one of the great roots. Round the corner came a black horse, no hobbit pony, but a full-sized horse, and on it sat a large man who seemed to crouch in the saddle, wrapped in a great black cloak and hood, so that only his boots and the high stirrups showed below. His face was shadowed and invisible. When it reached the tree and was level with Frodo, the horse stopped. The riding figure sat quite still with his head bowed, as if listening. From inside the hood came a noise, as of someone sniffing to catch an elusive scent. The head turned from side to side of the road. Okay. Um, what do you notice? What do you notice here? This is our first description. Right, our first description of uh, of the Black Rider. What do you see here? What strikes you? Yes, James. Of course, we have to. Uh, um, that's a, an important thing for us to know. As James Stephen points out, that other feeling. Right. So we look at the. So we saw he had this desire to hide. Right. This sudden desire to hide came over him while he was standing on the road. Now there is another feeling that is at war with that desire to hide. It's curiosity or something else, right? The or some other feeling, that's to me the red flag, right? If it just said Frodo hesitated for a second, curiosity was struggling with his desire to hide, I wouldn't think there was a, anything sinister about that. That would just be natural hobbitness coming through, right? That would be Frodo's hobbitry in action. But, but yeah, James, that uh, curiosity or some other feeling. Or some other feeling suggests Frodo himself doesn't understand it, right? Um, he seems to classify it as curiosity, right? Um, because he doesn't have any other way to understand it, right? What else would lead him to... You know, what else would be at war with his desire to hide, right? He wants to conceal himself, but he kind of wants to see, too. So, um, yeah... What is it, then, that's warring, that he, that feels to him like curiosity, but is warring with his desire to hide? I think this is clearly, Aragorn, I, I agree with you there, I think that this is clearly um, the, the ring. There are two things that this could be. This could be the rider, right, uh, calling, or sort of, the, the will of the rider, trying to act on him to reveal himself. Or it could be the will of the ring working on his will. I think that this is the ring. The primary reason I believe that this is the ring 
is that it is clearly an internal sensation. Um, Frodo's own per- look. Look at Frodo's own self perception here. He categorizes this feeling that he has as curious. It's like curiosity, right? It's not like some other will acting on him and getting him to... It's not like he's under some kind of compulsion or he feels strangely... He feels this foreign desire. I mean, there's no sense to Frodo of this coming from outside himself, right? Um, he feels this is coming from inside himself. Um, he can't think of anything else other than curiosity that would make him want to do this, right? But, of course, we know that there is another thing. Um, and that, of course, is the ring. The ring's desire to reveal itself is directly struggling with his desire to hide, right? Um, yeah, and Stephanie, I agree. It doesn't seem like anyone else has this feeling. Right, exactly. Um, uh, yeah. yeah. Grimm says if the rider knew to draw him, you know, to command him, then he wouldn't have made it very far before the rider caught him. I agree with that, I think, though we need to keep an eye on that. Um, the relationship between the riders and the rings, the ring wraiths and the ring, is uh, something I want to look at really carefully. Um, uh, yeah, Tony, I do want to wait on that. We don't have any, we don't yet have any direct evidence about uh, the Nazgul and their relationship with the Shire. Let's take this as we uh, as we get it, Tony. But I won't forget to talk about that. Um, uh, so yes, yeah, so I do think that this is the so I think that this is one of the very first times that we get the ring acting directly on him, right? In a time of stress, the ring is coming in and encouraging him to do this. Again, he takes this for his own thought, right? It comes from within him. That's how the ring operates, right? Um, we see the ring plant feelings or desires uh, in the in the the wearer right um, okay so this I think this is one really this is this is an important piece of data that we're going to need to keep in mind as we move forward um, yeah and uh, Kelly has a great point Kelly Rossi says that uh, she loves the no hobbit pony but a full size horse uh, point of the description um, Kelly says it describes the otherness of the black rider in relationship to the hobbits uh, horse isn't scary but when it's something other than what you're familiar to it can be unnerving and that's just the beginning right Kelly that sort of sets the um, notice where we go we start with that right there's a black horse not a pony Right? A full-sized horse. So even the most normal thing about it, right? Because, I mean, as you say, Kelly, horses aren't intrinsically terrifying, right? So, um, but even the most normal element is still unusual, right? So it moves from unusual to strange. Um, so there's a large man. Strange, too, right? Again, big folk are, are seen in the Shire sometimes. Not unheard of, but yet another step of, of weird, right? Uh, st- a step further into weird. Um, and then what is he doing? He's crouched in the saddle, wrapped in a great black cloak and hood, so that only his boots showed blows. He's all wrapped up and crouched down. It's really weird. Like, what's up with this dude's posture? What's he doing? I mean, just his whole attitude, the, 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 that is the... 
I'm using the word attitude in the, the old sense, like the position of his body, right? The attitude in which he's sitting um, is strange. It's not just so... It's, a, it's not a pony, it's a horse. And it's, a, it's one of the big people riding it. And he's not acting like a normal big person. He's all, like, wrapped up and crouched over. Um, and his face is shadowed and invisible. Um, now, I wouldn't... Um, uh, I wouldn't uh, read too much into the invisible. Invisible just means that he can't see it. I don't think that this is Frodo looking into his the cowl of his hood and being like, oh, he has an invisible face, right? I, 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 it's just he can't see it. Um, it's dark. Uh, the, the, it's, got a, it's, got a, it's got a very deep hood, right? Um, so, uh, so, yeah, I don't think that... Um, I don't think that it's... Um, it means that he can actually, like as if he could see the back of the inside of his hood, right, to see that, like, the dude has no visible head. It's not like that, I don't think. He merely is saying he can't see, right? It's it's just, it's, it's, it's in, in shadow. Frodo, I think, must assume that the rider has a head and a face, right? But it's strange and eerie and mysterious. So again, notice how the eeriness escalates, it's still kind of comparatively gentle, but it very distinctly escalates um, uh, going through. And um, uh, Veronica, yes, Veronica says that his crouching down suggests that he's staying close to the ground, that he's tracking, that he's looking down at the ground. Exactly, right? Um, he's acting... He's not just weird, like, he's not just, he's not, he's not just like Quasimodo on horseback, right? But, um, but again, he's not acting like a normal rider. So not only is it not a... F- you know, so... Remember we talked about hobbits being social and, and antisocial, right? And not not you know, and wanting to meet with strangers on the road. Um, not only is it not a hobbit, uh, and but is not friendly. It's not somebody. It's just a friendly stranger walking along. It's somebody who seems to be, yeah, scrutinizing the ground as if he's hunting or tracking or something like that, right? Um, and a, one of the big people, and all, like, mysteriously cloaked and hooded, right? So that you can't even see anything of him. Remember, it's September. It's not like it's freezing cold, right? Um, I mean, there's no indication, you know, Sam's wearing his shapeless felt bag that he calls a hat, um, but there's no indication that anybody else is wearing warm-weather gear or anything, right? Nobody else is hooded and cloaked. Um, But he's all so wrapped up, all you can see is his boots, right? Um... Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the smelling, right? You add on to the fact that it's not just crouching down as if he's hunting. It's as if he's hunting by scent, right? And that's when the weird meter goes off the charts for Frodo, right? The rest of it would be explicable. It would still be ominous, right? You've got to think that Frodo, when he sees this guy... If even if there were no, if there were no creepy feeling and there were no sniffing involved, just the sight of one of the big people on horseback scrutinizing the ground and looking as if he was hunting and creeping, Frodo would be like, "Oh, this guy could be a spy. This is, um, um, you know, this is uh, 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 
you know, but, but it would still be ominous, right? But there's ominous, right? There's dangerous, and then there's, and then there's eerie, right? Um, and yeah, it's, Valori said the sniffing thing terrified her as a kid. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, no, exactly. It's, um, it's very menacing. It's very creepy. Um, the riding figure sat quite still with its head bowed as if listening from inside the hood. Even that, right? Why is it listening? Could it hear them? They're being silent, and they're hobbits, right? Remember, Tolkien has just reminded us that they could move, like, uh, you know, very, very, very quietly. Remember that? So he just emphasized how quietly they're moving. How did the rider know to stop? Why is he listening just there, where Frodo is, right? And then he starts sniffing. Um, Yeah. Super creepy. A sudden, unreasoning fear of discovery laid hold of Frodo, and he thought of his ring. He hardly dared to breathe, and yet the desire to get it out of his pocket became so strong that he began slowly to move his hand. He felt that he had only to slip it on, and then he would be safe. The advice of Gandalf seemed absurd. Bilbo had used the ring, and I am still in the Shire, he thought, as his hand touched the chain on which it hung. At that moment the rider sat up, and shook the reins. The horse stepped forward, walking slowly at first, and then breaking into a quick trot. Okay. Um, This is the first ring-induced monologue of the book. Here, we, we saw already that there was something struggling with his desire to hide, right? Now it shows itself much more clearly. He thinks of the ring. This idea of the ring just pops into his head at this moment, right? And this desire to get it out becomes so strong that he just starts moving his hand without thinking about it, right? Notice what the ring does. It creates this fantasy image in his mind, right? He felt that he had only to slip it on and then he would be safe. See, that's the thing that the ring is using to tempt him here. That's the thing the ring is kind of holding out to him. Don't you want to be safe? You're in danger. Don't you want to be safe? Right? Bilbo used the ring. It may kept Bilbo safe. Think how many dangers Bilbo escaped on his journey because he wore the ring. Right? So, if you slip it on, you'll be safe from this obviously dangerous and perfectly creepy thing that's standing in front of you. Right? Um, And look how immediately the rationalizations start following on the heels of this little fantasy. Right? This fantasy of of the safety which the ring will give him, right? The advice of Gandalf seemed absurd. The ring does these, uh, these proactive counter-arguments, right? In case you're about to think that, but wait, Gandalf told me I must not use the ring, right? He was very firm about that the last time yeah, we were together, the ring immediately counters with, the advice of Gandalf seems absurd, doesn't it? Right? Bilbo had used the ring. Nothing bad ever happened. Come on now. And I'm still in the Shire, he thought. Notice that the, um, that that thought is in dialogue form, in first person. Right? This is him talking to himself now. I'm, I'm still in the Shire. Right? Frodo is totally in control here. This is all coming from Frodo. Or at least he feels that this is all coming from him. 
Frodo doesn't seem to have any sense here that there is some outside force acting on him, outside his own psyche, right? Because it's acting within his own psyche, through his own psyche. That's the ins- the ring is extremely insidious in this way, and I think it's important to see from the beginning. The temptation that the ring offers is not temptation of the ring itself, right? That is to say, it's not desire for the ring that is the essential element of the ring's temptation. The ring, the very first time we see the ring tempting anybody to do anything, what it is tempting Frodo to do is to use it as a means to accomplish an end that he values, right? That's how the ring operates. You're afraid. I understand. You want safety, don't you? I can help you to that safety. Right? That is the ring's move. Um, And uh, think about what Gandalf said before why Gandalf wouldn't take the ring. Right? Gandalf is well aware that this is the kind of thing that the ring can be kind of counted on to do. Right? Uh, Because it... um, uh, it's that would have been the way to Gandalf's heart, remember? Um, there are so many good things that he wants to do. There's so many things that the ring would throw out there to him and, uh, and, and, and suggest that it could be the means to the end, right? But notice the other thing, and again, we saw this in our study of chapter two. Not only is the ring operating on Frodo in that way, we also can see what it's... We can, we can, we're can. we in a position to see through it, right? As we sit back comfortably and watch this scene from a distance, obviously the ring is trying to expose itself, right? It is trying to reveal itself to the rider. It wants... It's lying to Frodo, completely lying to Frodo. Putting on the ring is going to be the opposite of safety. It's going to reveal him, not hide him. Um, the ring is completely lying. Um... So, um, yeah, so, so uh, uh, the ring is... But again, we saw this from the beginning. In Gandalf's story of the ring, we saw how the ring was using people and destroying them again and again, right? Isildur, then Gollum, then Deagle, then Gollum, right? Um, yeah, uh, D. Schwab was saying, uh, how does Gandalf know... Um, he's been defending himself from all this temptation the whole time, or or has he been, you know, for 70 years? No, I don't think, I mean, that's a possibility actually, that he has experienced the temptation and we know that it can act on people who aren't holding it, right? I mean, obviously we'll see that very dramatically with Boromir later on. Um, So, we know that it can act in the minds of people who are just nearby, so it's possible that Gandalf has already perceived that, that Gandalf has already been subject to that kind of temptation. I actually do think that that's quite possible. Um, It's also quite possible that Gandalf simply knows Sauron well enough to know that that's how his ring is going to operate. That's... Yeah, I mean, he's seen Sauron operate in the past. um, Or at least has sort of seen it from a distance. And... uh, uh, and 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 he has some good authoritative uh, uh, word about it, right? Though he he's never met Sauron personally, um, 
Other than maybe, I don't, I don't think they met when he was in Dol Guldor, but that was the closest Gandalf's ever been to him. Anyway, point is, Gandalf knows the enemy, right? And he knows how he operates. And so I think that Gandalf would probably understand how the temptation of the ring would work, even if he hadn't experienced it. But he may have done. He may have done. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, would he have met him in Valinor, Finn? Um, uh, very, very likely. No, that's, that's not what I mean. I meant, I meant, uh, in his, uh, over the course of his career as, as the Dark Lord. Um, I say that, I, I, I was saying that because I, um, uh, I find that I myself often forget how recent the Astari are. That is, the Astari are sent to Middle-earth to be the enemies of Sauron. And I forget that Sauron's already been operating for millennia before the Astari came. In fact, the Astari have kind of missed everything already. <laughs> Not quite everything, right? But, I mean, the War of the Last Alliance, that, they were, that, was, that was before their time, right? The uh, rings, forging of the Rings of Power and the destruction of, you know, uh, Celebrimbor and the Kingdom of Regian and all that, that was long before their time, right? So, yeah... Um, it's, uh, yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, exactly. So he knows how Sauron operates, so he knows how Sauron's tools operate. Exactly. Exactly. Anyway, okay. All right. Um, one last thing, though. What saves him? What saves Frodo here? My answer? Chance. Do I think that there is something in Frodo or in the ring that causes the rider to move on? That turns aside the rider's searching will? No, I don't think so. Um, Frodo, far from deflecting the will of the rider, Frodo is in the process of giving in to the ring. Right? That's not going to deflect the will of the rider. The touching of the chain on which the ring hangs, I don't think that is going to have anything to do with it. I think it's exactly the old Baggins luck. Um, chance of chance, you call it, as several of you are saying. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I think it's just, it's just again, I, th- I do think that this is uh, Finn, yeah. I think this is Iluvatar, this is the Valar, this is, this, there is some other power at work here. <clears throat> um, because, goodness knows, it looks like this is going to go badly. Um, the Lord of the Rings is going to turn out to be a very short story, if, uh, or a comparatively short story, anyway, uh, if, uh, if Frodo carries on. It looks like he's actually going to put on the ring here, right? And that'll be game over, right? And Sauron's going to get the ring back in the end. Um, but, fortunately, it just, uh, the, the rider moves on just in the nick of time. And again, I certainly don't think that that's a... Uh, uh, I certainly don't think that that's a... Coin- that, well, I mean, it is a coincidence. I don't think it's purely a coincidence. Um, yeah. <laughs> Tony, you're right. It could have been an even shorter story if the Nazgul had just come up the hill instead of shop- stopping at Bagshot Row. Absolutely. Um, Tony, it is ironic, right? Um, having followed the trail, having nothing to go on other than Baggins and the Shire, right? Having followed it all the way to the hill, he goes to the wrong door, right? I mean, he's that close. Baggins, where Baggins lives, is right there, right? And he he doesn't go. doesn't make it. 
Um, though actually, Tony, I kind of suspect that he didn't go to the wrong house. Um, I kind of suspect that he was asking in town and was told that Frodo had left. Um, I think it's not a coincidence that he ends up at Gaffer Gamgee's house. My suspicion, this is just a guess on my part, um, but um, uh, I think he was sent to the Gaffer because somebody would be like, oh, ask Gaffer Gamgee, um, as Gamgee would probably know, you know. Um, Valoris' Sandyman did it. Uh, yeah, probably. Probably. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Lincoln says, if this is your first read through the book, you realize the writer is bad news, but you don't necessarily realize this is, uh, this is close to game over. It's even more horrifying uh, in hindsight. Um, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, no, because we, 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 don't, we don't know any better than Frodo yet exactly what these things are and what's, uh, and, and what's going on. All right, let's keep going. Well, I call that very queer and indeed disturbing, said Frodo to himself as he walked towards his companions. Pippin and Sam had remained flat in the grass and had seen nothing, so Frodo described the rider and his strange behavior. I can't say why, but I felt certain he was looking or smelling for me, and also I felt certain that I did not want him to discover me. I've never seen or felt anything like it in the Shire before. But what has one of the big people got to do with us, said Pippin, and what is he doing in this part of the world? There are some men about, said Frodo. Down in the South Farthing they have had trouble with big people, I believe, but I have never heard of anything like this rider. I wonder where he comes from. Um... I felt certain he was looking or smelling for me, right? Um, notice Frodo's suspicion here. It's it's clear, right? We, knowing what the conversations he's had with Gandalf, can kind of read between the lines, right? Um, he doesn't say, I, I, I thought he was, like, looking or smelling for somebody, right? No, he says he was looking or smelling for me, right? Frodo is pretty clear on the fact that this guy is a spy, right? This is one of the servants of, of the enemy that Gandalf warned about, and he's here in the Shire. Frodo seems to have come to that conclusion pretty quickly. And uh, uh, Catapulta, I agree, that smelling for me line is really strange, right? Uh, I mean, to say, like, I, I, he was, like, smelling for me, right? Like he was pursuing me by scent. And it's... Um, like, very frightening, right? The idea of a predator pursuing you by scent, you know, and you can't escape, and your trail will reveal you to, 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 your, to your hunter, right, is uh, already scary. Um, but it's, um, it's more so when this is not an animal, right, at all, but this is a, this is a person. Notice Pippin. Right, Pippin is still. What has one of the big people got to do with us? Pippin seems to have. He initially skims right over the smelling bit, right? Uh, you know, he's um, uh, he's just like, you know, um, what has one of the big people got to do with us? Sounds like it's a question designed to sort of deflect or uh, not, not console exactly, but um, 
you know, to say, like, uh, it's, it's probably nothing, Frodo, right? Why would one of the big people have anything to do with us? That, um, um, that doesn't, uh, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, Tim, exactly. Tim says, uh, Frodo is the fox pursued by the hounds. Uh, it is ironic, right? Having just seen the fox right now, it's like, the fox goes by and it's like, tag, you're it, now you are the fox in the fox hunt. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, good. And yes, uh, 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 Raven King, um, that there's another line which is really fascinating in retrospect, right? The, the business about uh, down in the south farthing, they have had trouble with big people, right? Yeah, there have been big people down in the south farthing. I wonder what those big people are doing. Maybe we'll learn later about what those big people in the south farthing are up to, right? Um, but yeah, yeah, the seed is already planted there for the scouring of the Shire. Um, but I've never heard anything like this rider, right? Um, so Frodo seems to be, as I say, he seems to me to be quite clear on the fact that this is a spy who is hunting for him personally, not just up to no good, but personally hunting for him. Um, and two, he's quite clear on the fact that this this thing is not normal. This is not even a big, you know, one of the big people is scary enough, Um this is beyond just one of the big people, right? Um, I wonder where he comes from, he says. Um, I personally don't think he means that. I think he knows or suspects where he comes from and is kind of hoping that he's wrong. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Ambrosius says, uh, it sounds like Frodo is trying to impress some of his suspicions on the others without quite telling them all he knows or suspects of the danger. Yeah, Ambrosius, I do think that Frodo is doing a really interesting job of kind of telegraphing things here, right? On the one hand, he's sort of telegraphing things to Sam, right? Like, so Sam will understand what he really means. So, you know, when Frodo says, I wonder where he comes from. Gosh, Sam, can you think of any place? I bet you can think of some place where this guy might have come from, right? Without actually saying in front of Pippin, like, that dude is obviously from Mordor, right? Um, but at the same time, he's also putting Pippin on his guard. Um, and I do think, uh, 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 Mr. King of the North, that he's um, trying not to scare his friends, or at least not to scare Pippin. Um, he doesn't want to alarm Pippin too much. Um, but he also doesn't want Pippin to... He does seem to be doing a little bit of something to kind of break through the, uh, you know, the the Blythe, um, uh, you know, camping trip thing that Pippin has going on here, right? Okay, Pippin, maybe we should start taking things more seriously here, right? Maybe we should... Uh, maybe this is a... Maybe this is a big deal. Um... Okay. Begging your pardon, put in Sam suddenly. I know where he comes from. It's from Hobbiton that this here Black Rider comes, unless there's more than one. And I know where he's going, too. What do you mean? said Frodo sharply, looking at him in astonishment. Why didn't you speak up before? I've only just remembered, sir. It was like this. When I got back to our hole yesterday evening with my key, my dad, he says to me, Hello, Sam, he says. I thought you were away with Mr. Frodo this morning. There's been a strange customer asking for Mr. Baggins of Bag End, and he's only just gone. I've sent him on to Bucklebury. Not that I like the sound of him. He seemed mighty put out when I told him Mr. Baggins had left his old home for good. Hissed at me, he did. It gave me quite a shudder. What sort of a fellow was he, says I to Gaffer. 
to, to the gaffer. I don't know, says he, but he wasn't a hobbit. He was tall and black-like, and he stooped over me. I reckon it was one of the big folk from foreign parts. He spoke funny. I couldn't stay to hear more, sir, since you were waiting, and I didn't give much heed to it myself. The gaffer is getting old and more than a bit blind, and it must have been near dark when this fellow came up the hill and found him taking the air at the end of our row. I hope he hasn't done no harm, sir, nor me. Um, first of all, I love the fact that... See, on the one hand, you would think, Gaffer Gamgee, surely that guy... If he sees a black rider, is going to be... I mean, if he thinks the people from Buckland are strange, he's going to see a black rider and freak out, right? But no, it works the other way around, right? I mean, to to <laughs> to, the, to the gaffer, um, this the, the he has no category for like normal big folk behavior, right? I mean, he can tell that this is guy. Notice how he categorizes him, right? Uh, a strange customer, and uh, as, what does this say? Uh, um, uh, Oh yeah, uh, one of the big folk from foreign parts, right? One of the so to the gaffer, the, obviously nothing would surprise Gaffer Gamgee less than to find that all big folk from foreign parts act like this routinely, right? He's this guy spoke funny, but of course he did, right? Because I mean, goodness knows the folk in in in, in Buckland are queer enough. Those big people from foreign parts, way out over yonder in some vague direction, right? I mean, they must be so weird that, like, nothing, you wouldn't put anything past them, right? So you see one, and he's, like, stooping down and hissing and, and speaking really strangely and giving you kind of a shudder, right? Well, you know, doubtless that's how people in foreign parts are, right? Um, yeah, and, but Matt, I agree, sort of... Uh, I, kind of submerged beneath this. Matt says, I think the Gamgees are a, are a brave and hardy lot based on this. And I agree. There is that element, I think, in, in the gaffer. I mean, the Black Rider is stooping over him, right? That is, I interpret that as Gaffer Gamgee saying, uh, to translate that into 21st century space, the Black Rider was invading my personal space. <laughs> I believe that that's what the gaffer is saying when he says that he stooped. I mean, obviously he stooped because he's much taller than Gaffer Gamgee, right? But it's not just that. He stooped over me, meaning, I believe, like loomed over me. So Gaffer had to look almost straight up to see him. So imagine this now. There's a Nazgul, right, on the doorstep of Gaffer Gamgee, and he's that close to him. Right? He's leaning over him, so his head is like above him, and he's having to look up, and he's hissing down on him. It's, if anybody's ever going to come down with the black breath, you'd think it would be him, right? Nah. Gave me a sort of shudder, is all he says, right? Um, uh, yeah, so, I mean, it's. I agree. The, uh, the, the, the Gamgees do seem, uh, uh, do seem rather hardy. But I would also put this up, uh, file this away as evidence for what we see about the Black Riders and their power or the lack of their power in the Shire as well. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> JJ48, 
says, I actually experienced something like this in Japan. People from different regions in Japan could be considered odd, but as a foreigner, pretty much anything I did was more or less expected and normal. Exactly, right? Um, uh, so it, it doesn't even say, it does, like the, the extreme, the extremity of the weirdness of this particular uh, big folk, right, doesn't even register with the gaffer. Uh, and I find that kind of hilarious um, uh, under the circumstances. Um, so, okay, he spoke funny. Yeah, he did. Now, by the way, um, he says that he hissed at him and that he spoke funny. I don't believe that that means that... Um, I think it's pretty clear that the writers in the... And we talked about this some last week, that the writers in the book do not speak in bizarre hisses like they do in the in the movies. Um, and again, this seems to me some more examples of that. He wouldn't just... You know, if, if all he could say, if like the only two words that he knew were Baggins, Shire, like in the movies... Uh, the gaffer wouldn't come out of that conversation saying, he spoke funny, right? Um, so, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so... Um, first of all, I love Frodo's reaction up here, too. Um, begging your pardon, I know where he comes from. Um, I love Frodo's reaction. Right, um, he especially thinking about the what we were just describing about how he seems to be kind of trying to signal to Sam. Right, he's trying to say things which Sam will understand, but Pippin might not. Right, and then Sam's immediate response is, "I know where he comes from." It's like, "Sam, shut up! Don't." Oh yeah, um, but then instead he drops a bomb. It sounds like he's just going to be a doofus, right? But instead he's like, "He came from Hobbiton, right?" Um, and I know where he's going to. It's like, wait, what? You actually have information about this, um, um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Lincoln says, I wonder where he comes from is a big dramatic question. And the, uh, uh, I know where he comes from. It's from Hobbiton is a hilariously mundane answer. Um, yeah. Well, and also not just mundane Lincoln, but, uh, counterintuitive, right? I've never seen anything like this from the Shire. Where could it possibly come from? Our hometown, right? Is not the answer that anybody was really expecting. Um, but of course, when it comes, it's sort of comical at first, but then it's even more disturbing than before, right? Because it's like, oh, wait, so it was, uh, uh, it, it came, look, we, it just missed us in Hobbiton? Oh, great, right? Um, yeah, yeah, um, I hope he hasn't done no harm, sir, nor me. There's Sam forgetting to mention this. Okay. Um, Still, says Pippin, there may be no connection between this rider and the gaffer stranger, said Pippin. We left Hobbiton secretly enough, and I don't see how he could have followed us. What about the smelling, sir, said Sam, and the gaffer said he was a black chap. I wish I had waited for... I love that phrase. Said he was a black chap. Um, <laughs> of all of the titles, uh, I just, I, you know, sometimes I, when I get to the Return of the King, you know, and like we're seeing like the Witch King leading his army into battle and we get like the big confrontation between, you know, the, 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 
the Witch King and Gandalf and the gates of Minas Tirith as he rides through the gates through which no foe had ever entered before. I liked, I sometimes in those moments like to remember uh, the, the gaffer uh, back, in this, back in chapter three, uh, <laughs> meeting a Nazgul face to face from inches away and coming away from the experience labeling him a strange customer and a black chap, right? He was a chap. He wore black. That's pretty much all I noticed about him. He talked funny, right? Um, it's it's just so delightful uh, to, to remember Gaffer Gamgee's perspective uh, on the uh, black riders before whom all have fled in terror. Um, yes, I agree, uh, uh, Mr. Osklas. The black chaps are not as intimidating as the black riders, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, Ambrosia said it's kind of like calling the Witch King an odd fellow. Well, yeah, yeah. A, 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 a strange customer. <laughs> He's a strange customer. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, good, good. Okay. Um, what about the smelling, sir? said Sam. And the gaffer said he was a black chap. Now, um, for a long time I didn't ever, I didn't understand why Sam said that. Um, but he's responding to Pippin, right? And that is, when, when Sam said, what about the smelling, sir? I always thought that he was just emphasizing, like, we all agree that the fact that he seemed to be scenting for his prey is the weirdest thing about this creature, right? And the most noteworthy thing that we need to keep in mind when we're trying to figure out to to, to sort of explain it, right? Um, Yeah, so... um, But it's not just that, clearly. He's responding to Pippin. Pippin has just said, there might be no connection. Right, we left. I mean, we, we we were totally stealthy coming out of Hobbiton. Right? How could he possibly have followed us? And Sam says, "What about the smelling?" Right? <clears throat> In other words, it could be the one from Hobbiton, and he has pursued us by scent. Um, he has pursued us by scent this far. Right? And the gaffer said he was a black chap. That is, it sounds like the guy. Right? Like the same guy. Um. I wish I had waited for Gandalf, Frodo muttered, but perhaps it would only have made matters worse. Then you know or guess something about this rider, said Pippin, who had caught the muttered words. I don't know, and I would rather not guess, said Frodo. All right, cousin Frodo, you can keep your secret for the present if you want to be mysterious. In the meanwhile, what are we to do? I should like a bite and a sup, but somehow I think we had better move on from here. Your talk of sniffing riders with invisible noses has unsettled me. Yes, I think we will move on now, said Frodo, but not on the road, in case that rider comes back or another follows him. We ought to do a good step more today. Buckland is still miles away. Um, so, two things here. First, Frodo's words, and then Pippin's response. Um, Frodo says the two things, right? I wish I had waited for Gandalf, but perhaps that would only have made matters worse. So he's realizing, okay, we really need... You know, he was anxious about leaving without Gandalf before. Now, he, again, he knows 
and you know, spies of the enemy have caught up with him, right? And weird spies of the enemies, freaky spies of the enemy have caught up with him. He really wants Gandalf. Maybe I should have waited. Maybe I shouldn't have gone off alone without Gandalf. But if I had stayed, maybe it would have made matters worse, right? Um, then you and Pippin is pretty shrewd, right? Then you know or guess something about this writer, right? Pippin, who was just questioning, maybe it's a coincidence. Maybe it's not the, maybe it's not the same guy, right? And now he's like, wait, do you, do you know who this is? Do you know what this is about? Is there a reason why you're saying you wish you had waited for Gandalf? And of course he does No, more than he's telling, right? I don't know, and I would rather not guess, said Frodo. That's a beautiful answer, right? It's a beautiful answer because it's perfectly true, but it's also obfuscating, right? Um, he's concealing things from Pippin. But he's not concealing things with untruth. It's true that he does not know what the rider is. And it's also true that he would much rather not guess, right? He really doesn't want to think about what it could possibly be. Um, he does know, uh, he does know or guess something about the rider, right? Um, uh, anyway, yeah, it, it, Catapulta says it's a very Gandalfy answer. I agree. It's very, it's very Gandalfy. Um, Pippin's response. You can keep your secret if you want to be mysterious, he says. Right? Um, In the meanwhile, what are we to do? I love... Pippin, again, is still keeping things on a a very calm level. Right? I'd like to have a picnic, frankly. Right? But somehow I think we'd better move on from here. Uh, He has been unsettled. Pippin has been unsettled by his talk of sniffing riders with invisible noses. Uh, And by the way... I don't think that um, uh, his reference to invisible noses, which I saw several of you, Mike and um, and uh, uh, John Oskos, were joking about the um, um, the invisible noses. Uh, it's, it's, it's always that line: uh, sniffing riders with invisible noses uh, was always a favorite of mine as well. Um, this is not evidence that, like, he could definitely tell that his face was invisible, right? This is Pippin teasing Frodo, right? This is Pippin making light of it, being like, this is probably not as big a deal as you're making it, right? Like, oh, like the sniffing riders with the invisible, and they're like, oh, he had no face, right? Maybe he has no face, right? Maybe his nose is invisible. Um, invisible noses is funny, right? And... Pippin clearly means it to be funny. He seems to be trying to, to sort of break the tension here a little bit and even tease Frodo uh, for his paranoia here. Um, so he's going to concede and not have the, the picnic right now. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, good. And Matt, you're right. Matt points out that although Pippin is young, he is the heir to the ruling Hobbit house. Um, he does have some uh, some metal about him. And I agree. I think that that actually really is visible here. Um, to this point before, when we've been contrasting Pippin's attitude on this walking party so far, he seems to be sort of flippant, oblivious, you know, just totally unaware that anything significant is going on, right? Oh, it's, that's what his words would suggest. Um, whereas to both Frodo and Sam, this has been very, you know, significant and meaningful even before it got terrifying. And, uh, 
here I think we can see him maintaining that tone, but maintaining it rather deliberately, right? Um, confessing that he is unsettled, um, and yet also at the same time making light of it. I think it's great. Um, I think it's... Uh, um, it shows real character on uh, on Pippin's part. Um, it seems to me a very deliberate choice to try to make sure that people don't get too freaked out. Second encounter. The hoofs drew nearer. They had no time to find any better, any hiding place better than the general darkness under the trees. Sam and Pippin crouched behind a large tree bowl, while Frodo crept back a few yards towards the lane. It showed gray and pale, a line of fading light through the wood. Above it, the stars were thick in the dim sky, but there was no moon. The sound of hoofs stopped. As Frodo watched, he saw something dark pass across the lighter space between two trees, and then halt. It looked like the black shade of a horse, led by a smaller black shadow. The black shadow stood close to the point where they had left the path, and it swayed from side to side. Frodo thought he heard the sound of snuffling. The shadow bent to the ground and then began to crawl towards him. <laughs> I apologize. I forgot to put the page number in there. My oversight there as I was preparing for class. Um, anyway, I love this description. This is another one of those really delicious descriptions. Tolkien, uh, there aren't that many, there are not that many stories that I know of that really try to describe starlight, right? Not moonlight, starlight at night. Um, and I love this, the, this description here, that, uh, sort of, line of fading light, the kind of gray, pale road. You can you can just make out the not light space, but the less dark strip where the where the where the road is, right? The lane showing gray and pale through the wood. Um and then notice he, he can hear the sound far more than he can see, right? The sound of the hooves stop. And then all he can see is shadows. That phrase, the black shade of a horse, right? Um, not shadow of a horse, shade of a horse, right? Almost as if, like, it's an undead horse, right? I mean, it's, it's not really an undead horse, but, you know, again, like, it's this, the, the whole, even the horse itself now has this, this, this eeriness to it in the darkness, Right? Um, and now the the rider is just a shadow, a smaller black shadow. The black shadow stood close to the point where they had left the path and swayed from side to side. Right, that image of it swaying side to side again. It's not human. That's not how people behave. Right. Um, and yes, uh, 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 Mr. Uskalas, I also like the the choice of the word snuffling. Right, it's worse even than sniffing because people sniff, but they don't snuffle. I mean, maybe when you have a cold, right? But the sound of snuffling—that's like the sound of a predator following a scent along the ground, right? Um, and and we see it indeed bending. To, he sees it bending to the ground. I can't see very clearly. I can see the shadow, and the shadow is now bent all the way down to the ground and crawling. It's actually crawling across the ground towards him, or at least. Again, the shadow, he describes it moving uh, towards him. Um, 
you know, slowly but surely with, accompanied by this snuffling uh, sound. I just, this is just a wonderful, wonderful scene. And it shows we've gone, again, the, 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 the weird meter has gone way past the end now, right? We are now clearly dealing with something which is a monster, right? Not, it's not even just one of the big people. It's not just a spy. He, Frodo, was afraid of, of spies, right? That the enemy would send, would send, but he sent, what is it? We don't even know, right? Um, and yes, uh, Tim, very good reminding us, um, of, uh, um, the, so we, we do have some context for this, right? Or at least Frodo should, if he remembers the song, right? In the land of Mordor, where the shadows lie. Well, one of those shadows has now come to the Shire and is creeping across the grass, the green grass of the Shire, towards the tree behind which he's hiding, right? And there's nothing that he can do about it. Um, and, Mike, you are absolutely right that um, there, this is not like The Hobbit at all. Right, we don't get this kind of thing in the Hobbit. The story has definitely moved into a into a completely new thing at this point. Um, Once more, the desire to slip on the ring came over Frodo, but this time it was stronger than before. So strong that almost before he realized what he was doing, his hand was groping in his pocket. But at that moment, there came a sound like mingled song and laughter. Clear voices rose and fell in the starlit air. The black shadow straightened up and retreated. It climbed onto the shadowy horse and seemed to vanish across the lane into the darkness on the other side. Frodo breathed again. Elves! exclaimed Sam in a hoarse whisper. Elves, sir! <laughs> he says it again. Elves, sir! He would, he would have burst out of the trees and dashed off toward the voices if they had not pulled him back. And a jolly good thing they did, too, because you know what happened. What happens if you do that? If you're in the woods at night and you hear the sound that sounds like elf singing off in the distance and you immediately stand up and go pelting off towards it through the trees, what happens? Anybody know? Come on, tell me. What happens? Exactly, Tony. They disappear, right? This happened to Bilbo and the dwarf three times in Mirkwood. This happens all the time in fairy tales, right? Poof, no more elves. Guibrella, exactly. So, yeah, it's... um Or, and, and possibly... Possibly you get abducted, right? Like Thorin did, like many others have done. So, uh, but yes, of course, JJ48, being drawn towards them irresistibly is also uh, a theme of the fairy tale, but you can't, they still, like, you can't get there, right? Um, that desire that you can't uh, get to is, um, uh, <clears throat> is, uh, is part of the thing, right? Um, anyway, okay, so it's, a, it's a, a, a good thing in many ways that. Sam was not permitted to go dashing off toward the voices. I don't know that these elves actually would have vanished had he done that, but uh, um, but anyway. Okay. Uh, yes, it is elves, said Frodo. One can meet them sometimes in the woody end. They don't live in the Shire, but they wander into it in spring and autumn, out of their own lands, away beyond the Tower Hills. I am thankful that they do. You did not see, but that black rider stopped just here and was actually crawling towards us when the song began. As soon as he heard the voices, he slipped away. What about the elves? said Sam, too excited to trouble about the rider. Can't we go and see them? Uh, by the way, that's one of my favorite lines of Sam's. 
what about the elves? <laughs> it's, it's like he he's totally he's not been listening to a thing. Like uh, he stopped listening as soon as Frodo said, "Yes, it is elves." Right, and then it's like, rah, 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 rah. <laughs> but, okay, right. That, but what about the elves? Um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's awesome. It's uh, Sam's reaction is just notice. Sam's wonder, his desire for the elves and his wonder at, at meeting them and hearing them from a distance. Um, remember, Sam thinks that he did once see an elf. Um, so this kind of a, this kind of a near encounter, right? Hearing their singing coming through the trees is the kind of thing that he's always dreamed about. Um, but you can see that even now, he's not sure whether he's going to get to accomplish his desire, right? If he's going to actually get to go and meet elves. Um, the just hearing them from a distance is, uh, is pretty cool. Um, yeah. Anyhow, so Frodo is not focused on that. But again, notice how this is still following the same pattern, right? Frodo focused on the journey, Right, the dangers, Th- saying goodbye to the Shire, you know, thinking about going into exile, um, now worrying about pursuit, seeing the monsters coming and chasing them. Right, um, that's where that's where Frodo's mind is. Um, Sam is just, but what about the elves? <laughs> right, um, totally the focus of his concentration. Um, and as soon as he heard the voices, he slipped away. This is now twice. Twice, both times, they have encountered the, the Black Riders. They have been saved in the nick of time by chance, right? If the Black Rider hadn't happened to go at that, if he had stayed there sniffing for five more seconds, Frodo would have put on the ring, and it would have been over, right? Um, this time, of course, it's even more dramatic. The elves come in, right? But again, notice they come in at the same time and for the same reason, right? Um, the desire to turn up, to, to slip on the ring comes back even stronger than before. And again, his hand is groping in his pocket before he even realizes it, right? Um, the ring is coming on really strong here. Um, Frodo has... We haven't seen this kind of my hand is operating outside my will kind of thing with Frodo before, apart from the fact his hand refused to obey him before, right? When he told his hand to throw the ring in the fire and he and, and, and his hand wouldn't do it, right? But this is yet sort of a step up from that. Um, anyway, um, notice this time it requires uh, an even more dramatic intervention. Um, yeah, so when you look for it, when you look at the way that luck and chance are deployed in this story, um, it's easy to say that like Iluvatar and the Valar are totally invisible in the story of the Lord of the Rings. People can people say that. You can say that. You can even maintain that, right? Because you can't. There are very few direct references that you can say to like just quote it for somebody and say you know, we can totally prove this. Um, but when you look through carefully and you see this, I mean, already, twice, twice, 
This random chance has come up, I mean, just in the nick of time, dramatically. Frodo has been saved from destroying himself and everybody else um, by, uh, uh, by putting on the ring in the presence of the riders. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, John Osclaw says, Frodo's going to have to get better at this resisting the ring thing, uh, or this is going to be over right quick. Absolutely. Absolutely. We see that. Um, but, and that's an important point. Notice how much growing Frodo has to do. You know, a lot is made, of course, later on about Frodo's will to resist the ring and how long Frodo holds out against the ring. Notice how weak he is here at the beginning. Notice how close he is to giving in, right off the top. And I think it's important for us to notice how much Frodo grows. It's not The ring is going to grow more powerful, and we'll see that. And again, a lot is made of that. We need to really focus on, on Frodo, right? Um, yeah, good. Okay, um, I think... My next passage is, yes, the walking song. We'll do the walking song next time. I'll start with that next time. Um, I want to do all three stanzas of the walking song because the walking song is awesome, but we will do that next time. So let's do our field trip. Okay. Um, all right. So you have a special request tonight, right? I do have a special request for the field trip today. So we're going to go back. Um, we're going to go back to uh, the Shire. Uh, we're going to meet at Hobbiton again. Um, and there are a couple things that I want to do. Uh, first, I want to talk a little bit more about the road that we dis- uh, that we discussed last time. And secondly, I want to uh, look at some of the brigands, the, that, that line that Frodo delivers about um, them having trouble with big folk in the South Farthing. He's heard. I want to look at what Lotro does with that. But here's the special request, and this is going to be challenging. <laughs> I know this is, this is going to be a real test to your self-restraint. I want to be looking not only at the scenery, but at the mobs tonight. So, when we go into places where there are aggressive mobs, I want you not to kill anything. Nobody is to kill anything in tonight's field trip, if you can possibly avoid it. I want no more... Now, or, I mean, you can indulge... No deaths. deaths. We want zero deaths. There should be no casualties. So, now, this is going to be impossible if you're low level. So, if you're below... uh, At at what level did they stop aggroing on you when you're 10 over, isn't it? Uh, I don't... Yeah, it's pretty low, I think. So, I think you have to be level 20. 8 over. Okay, so it's 8 over. 8 over. Yeah, so um, level 18 or 20. Um, If you're below level 18 or 20, if we have anybody who's under level 18 or 20, um, it's totally okay to... uh, um, to Defend yourself. Defend yourself. (laughs) But I'd actually ask you to kind of hang back at the end for... At the beginning, anyway, um, until we can see... Because you're going to pull them off of... I want to see what they're doing in their natural state, okay? Um, Okay. because I think it's a really interesting part of this story, and I think it's fun to see the it's fun to see the story unfold the way that Locher has set it up, and you really can't get the full picture uh, if <clears throat> either the mobs are chasing you or you're chasing them. So, okay, so that is my special request. We'll see how we do if uh, if we don't get there. That is, if if we end up 
if people end up killing them anyway. I'll describe what they're doing, but it'd be cooler to be able to see it. So, okay. Let's, uh, let's head to Hobbiton. So I'm going to... Uh, You're going to go ahead and get yourself there. If anybody needs yeah. a port... Uh, I'm going to port straight to Hobbiton here. What really dates you? What really dates you? Uh, anybody needs a hunter port, come up here and get you set up. Oh, the Mutual of Omaha reference. <laughs> Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom was my favorite TV show <laughs> as a child. <laughs> when I was like six or seven years old, Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom was my absolute favorite TV show. <laughs> it, it was, absolutely. Okay. So, D-May, would you, uh, would you take Grim Ward's stem? Uh, would you come up with him? Hologro, do you need a ride? Are you okay? Set. Okay. Anybody else need to fellow up to get there? Come on up here. Come on up here. Come on up here. So Dime, would you would you take care of these guys and get them? Yes, absolutely. See see Dime. Dime is gonna Dime is gonna take care of you guys. Okay, so first things first. First thing I can start describing even before people arrive. Um, and that is uh, a, a sort of explanation and apology. So several of you have very politely pointed out um, that I made a really silly mistake last week. I was spending a lot of time th- focusing on like the big map of the Shire. And we talked last time, of course, about the challenges of scale and how they handle that and, and you know, how they attempt to handle uh, the scale issue and, and how, the, how much that changes things and how impossible it is for them to really stick closely uh, to all the description that Tolkien gives of their, of their travels. Um, uh, anyway, so I was so f- I was focused on the big picture of that that I did something really silly, which again, several of you very, very politely pointed out. And that is, of course, Tolkien in the passage that I was reading describes them going down to the west side of the hill. And I, of course, went down the east side of the hill uh, when I was in, in, a, in our field trip last time. Um, uh, the point that I would like to make is if you look at the west side of the hill that they were describing, the challenges with scale become even more obvious. So for those of you who are still arriving, we're just heading up to Bag End. We're still going to be right here around in the Hobbiton area. We're heading up towards Bag End again just to sort of show what the west side of the hill looks like as well here. Um, basically, even less of the terrain described is uh, uh, is there. Um because, well, you'll see. Look at what happens when we get there. So here's there's the party field, right? And then we'll head up to Bag End. Now this is, of course, the main path. Of course it makes perfect sense that Frodo goes down the garden path on the west side of the hill, which is, of course, the opposite to the direction that he wants to go, but uh, it's, of course, much less... Um, public. So he's wanting to avoid the ears pricking and eyes prying. So he goes off this way to the west and down the hill. Now notice in the game, as soon as you leave 
the Garden of Bag End and you're here in this field, what do you see? Rushik Bog. That's Rushik Bog. That's the entirety of the Rushik Bog right there around the corner. That's the road to Needle Hole. Needle Hole is right about there. Right? Now, let me show you again the Shire map. This is the Shire map from the book. Um, Hobbiton and the hill, right, are here. Rushik Bog is way up there. Look at all this white space in the map between the hill and the Rushik Bog, right? But they don't have room in the game for all of that white space. So you can see in the game map that the hill and Rushik Bog are right next to each other, right? Because, again, there's everything's kind of crammed in because of scale issues. Um, so, yeah, it's just that there are so many constraints that they have because they can't actually make the world scaled in the same way. It's not, it's not only that they can't make like one mile in the game equal one mile in, 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 you know, in the real world or, you know, like on the map, but they can't make it proportioned the way that it is, or it would just be, it would just be. It would just be too long. So, okay, so when we go to this side, we see we're all the way in Rushik Bog, so but let's go down to the water. So they, they went down, they jumped over a hedge, and there's, well, there's some stone fences here. Um, and we're going through farms. There isn't any lane over here because there's no, there's nothing over here. Um, there's no, okay, oh, there's the water down there, but we see here's the entrance to the Rushik Bog. This is where the, the water seems to emerge from the bog, got some willow trees down here, right? Um, notice the sta- same issues. Th- there's no bridge of any kind down here, plank or otherwise, right? Um, because the river is just too big. It has to be, as we talked about before. The same problems here as on that bridge down by Bywater that we were on before. So something like up here-ish would have been actually where they crossed. But again, we, we we've we have basically totally sort of lost touch with the proportions of what's going on. So they cross up into Tookland, right? And head up. See, now we're over here by Waymeet already. Look how far up the map we are, where the water has turned up towards... We're like halfway between Hobbiton and the Rushik Bog, where again, contrast with the map, and you can see the water bends up. They didn't... They went down the west side of the hill and then crossed down here, right? Crossed the mount, crossed the east-west, the, crossed the, the oh, this is the other road, crossed the main east road, right? And then went on up and then bent south and east, right? And then, and then caught this road. <clears throat> this is, of course, the road that they went on over the Green Hill Country, right? So that's the path that they would have traveled. But that path doesn't exist in the game because, again, the proportions are all are all weird. Where they ended up, I think, is pretty... Cl- like, where we ended up last time is pretty clearly where they were, uh, you know, where they would have been going in the game world because of the uh, because of the birch trees, right? You can see that's the road that they were on. Um, we could see the... We we could see, as I say, the, uh, the birch trees, which are described in the book. Um, they love to take the details from the book and include them wherever they can, even if they have to kind of displace them. Um, as indeed they displaced the plank bridges. There aren't, there is no plank bridge across the water. It's too wide everywhere up here, right? There, from here you can see there's the Hobbiton Bridge. There's that little bywater bridge that we crossed last time, right? 
the water is just too big because in game terms it would look absolutely absurd if it were just a thin black ribbon, right? But um, but there are plank bridges, right? Anybody remember where they are? In the Russian bog. Of course, if you go to the Russian bog, there are plank bridges all over the place, right? Exactly. Yeah, gravity was just was just saying that. Um, yeah. So, um, so get it. Uh, Holograph, I think it was, was it you on the, um, on the forum that was talking about one of the big differences between the, the hot, the, 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 the two maps, Tolkien's map and the Lotro map is this stretch of road. So we've been at this intersection a bunch of times, actually, we're about, oops, we're about to go there again. Um, and, uh, where, where, where we're, there's that four way Cross? Oh, Hologro, it wasn't you. I know you were commenting on this. Um, but uh, it was probably not a cat. Yeah, I think you're right. Gravity. Um, anyway, this intersection, where we've been to this intersection a bunch of times. So this is, of course, we're on the main east-west road that goes to the Brandywine Bridge, and this is the road that leads up to Hobbiton, and this road leads straight up to Tuckborough, as we've been on before, and you can see it goes right up there. But, of course, on Tolkien's map, it doesn't do that see the road from Hobbiton, there is no direct road up there, but the road from Hobbiton, if this is the road from Hobbiton, it's the one that goes by Bywater. Um, so there's no road that goes straight up here. Um, but anyway, even this road doesn't go past the East Road, it stops at the East Road. And there is no main road that drops to the south. Um, but of course there wouldn't be. Look how far away Tukbra is. Look at all this white space that exists here between the road and Tukbra. And Tukbra, of course, is is nestled up in the hills. Again, it's just, it's a bigger world. They can't proportion the world like this. So they have everything kind of laid out in generally the same way. It's just all smushed together. Um, Anyway, so we end up with an extra road up to Tukbra. But I want to head back over to where we were on the, um, the road on the other side. The road that Frodo and Pippin and Sam walked down, that they get to eventually. Um, and see, oh, there are the birch trees. You can tell we're getting close. There's the road. So here's the road the Black Riders are pursuing them on. Now. Okay, so fair warning, this is where I want everybody to promise to stop killing things. Yeah. Oh, and Matt, I totally agree. Tuckborough is in an absolutely defensible position. I think I think that the Shire map in the game is totally defensible. Okay, look what we have here. It's a brigand knave on the road, right? Just walking on the road. And uh, so we already know he's a knave. But look at that. He's carrying, what's he carrying, a club? Yes. He's carrying a club. So he's not wearing a sword or anything, but he's carrying a, he's a, he's labeled as a knave and he's carrying a club in his hand and he's just walking up and down the road. Now, of course, they don't run into any brigands on this road. But of course, remember also, uh, there is no South Farthing. Um, this says to South Farthing down here at the bottom of the map, but that's an illusion. You can't. There is no South Farthing in the game. You can't get there, right? So this is just the map giving 
uh, sort of lip service to the fact that the South Farthing exists, but it's not; it doesn't exist in the game. Um, um, oh, Mass is defensible as, uh, as if one were building a fort or castle. Yes, absolutely. It is literally defensible. Um, and, and indeed, they do, of course, defend it later on. Uh, but anyhow, okay. So uh, anyway, so the point is, we are, this road that we're on here is almost as far south as uh, the Lotro map goes in the Shire. Of course, over here in the Shire, Homesteads and Mickle Delving is a little further south. But for this whole stretch, this is, this, this, this is pretty much as far south as we get. That area up here... I mean, if you go over this way, straight south, um, which I don't want to go too far, those hills right there, that's it. That's the edge of the map, um, the game map. So you can't go any further than that. So they want to follow that one hint that they get there about having trouble with men in the south farthing. So they've displaced them a little far north. But again, we see... A, a, now, the fact that he's labeled a knave is, I think, interesting because it implies or suggests, hey, maybe this is... Um, I wonder what that fox thinks about us standing all here. Anyway, um, uh, it, it suggests maybe he's a maybe he's a rogue, right? Maybe uh, uh, you know that is it's it's not like all of the big people are bad news or there's some kind of conspiracy or something like that. He's just a bad apple, right? You know, he's some kind of knave that that is walking around with a club and looking to give people a hard time. He's a he's a bully, and you know, uh, there's um, you know there's there's a bad egg in every lot. Right, and this guy appears to be it, but um, but anyway, you know, probably let's not let's not think anything much of that. Um, hey, did I? I think I did. Did I go up past the other entrance? I'm paying too much other attention to other things. Where's the uh, Where's the uh, the main entrance to the farm? I did miss the main entrance to the farm, didn't I? Is it around this corner? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is what I was looking for. Okay. Sorry, went right past it looking at the southern terrain. Um, now, again, this is the place where in the Hobbit prologue, you, um, if you don't skip the tutorial, you get to see Mary Pippin and Sam walking past this in the night. Um, uh, and we go into this farm. So now, let's, again, this is where I was saying, I hope we can see the mobs undisturbed uh, brigands. This is old Odo's leaf farm. Okay, so this is a this is a this is a, a, a pipeweed farm. Again, there are lots of pipeweed farms in the South Farthing, right? Pipeweed grows very well there, um, but they um, they don't have a South Farthing, so this is as close as we get. And look what we see here: we see these brigands. Look at what they're doing. I hope I don't hear sounds of combat anywhere. Okay. We've got these two guys guarding, they're also knaves, guarding this door. Are they working for the farmer? It doesn't look like it. In fact, we see this hobbit wagon that's completely smashed. A bunch of smashed up wagons. Um, They seem very comfortable here, right? Just lounging around. Here's the one that I find most interesting. Look at her. She's a brigand. Clearly labeled. She is, in fact, a waylayer. Right? This is a highway robber. Right? And yet, look what she's doing. She seems to be working in the field. That is to say, this is... Hey, don't kill the brigands! It's okay, we already saw them. Um, 
Eight to eight. Now she's going to leap up from her work and fight. But it's okay. We saw her working in the field. That was the important bit. Um, I think we must have a low-level person who is... Yes, we have a level 17 person who is uh, drawing aggro from them. It's okay to defend the, uh, the low-level people when they start attacking them. Um, once, they've, once the low-level people have drawn the aggro of the, of the brigands, there's nothing we can do. Um, so look at the picture that we get in this farm here, right? It's a pipeweed farm vaguely in the south farthing, right? It's south-ish, anyway. And there are big people on the farm. They're clearly part of the farm, right? They're working on the farm. They're lounging around the farm uh, and uh, standing guard around the farm building. So we can see a mixture of things, right? It looks as if these are agricultural laborers that have been hired to supplement the workforce in the South Farthing and help to tend the, the, the pipeweed fields, but we see these are not, in fact, just honest farmers looking, you know, honest farmhands uh, looking to make it in the world, right? Um, this is, these, are, these are brigands who are being brought in and brought in in numbers. Notice how few of them are actually working. Most of them are lounging around or doing like guard duty, which is not what farmhands are meant to be doing. So we can so so notice what they're showing us here in Lotro. Um, as we noticed when we went past that line uh, in this in chapter three tonight, that one line about them having trouble with big people in the south farthing uh, is the prelude is a prelude anyway to the to the. Um, the scouring of the Shire at the end, right? That's going to make much more sense in retrospect when we finally get to it um, in the year 2025. Um, and how this... We can see that Lotro is sort of trying to show us the story of how this has come together, right? Um, on the one hand, uh, it, you know, they, they, they've come in as farm laborers, right? But there are more and more of them. They keep coming, right? They're, they're being brought in more and more, and they're ceasing to even pretend to be farm laborers anymore. Um, so we get... And, and on this on this farm, I, I think it's really cool how you can kind of see the three stages, right? Over in that field, there she's back again, uh, you see the brigands working the fields, right? And then over here, you see the brigands lounging around, Right? They're just kind of here uh, and kind of waiting around to do who knows what yet, right? Um, uh, but they're not even really pretending even to work on the fields. And then you have these guys here who are clearly in this sort of quasi-military mode, right? And they're standing guard over this house, which has been taken over by who knows whom, probably the brigand boss, right? So this hobbit farm has been completely taken over by the men. Um, so we can see how the, the men are being brought into the Shire, how their numbers are growing, um, and the troubles that are, already, um, that are already coming from it, right? Um, so that's pretty cool, how we can see that the sort of, like, uh, the, the sort of the Lotho economy, right, and the build-up to the, um, uh, the, the build-up to the scouring beginning to take place. Now let's go a little further down, and we can see a similar kind of thing. Again, we can sort of see the narrative of the scouring of the Shire unfolding. That is, when we know what to look for, we can see how they're planting the seeds for that, right? Um, of course, now we're going further east than we were before. And in fact, 
what we're looking down on here from the top of this waterfall is the Marish. So um, Farmer Maggot is over up in that direction. But if we go up, if we cross this river just above the waterfall and head up, what we see are brigands, robbers, right? Robbers and poachers, right? Notice these are not these are not even knaves, right? They're not even um, uh, they're not pretending to be farmhands. This is just a robber's hold, right? So again, more of them are coming in and sneaking in, setting up their own camps. And here we will see their sort of makeshift, their rambling makeshift uh, little brigands village here, right? As these unsavory men uh, from south away, right? More brigand poachers here, right? We can see perhaps things that they have poached, right? So now these people, again, there's no, there's no two ways about them, right? They clearly mean harm, uh, to the people of the Shire. And they're not... And now, but look what happens when we come to the inner circle here. These guys are half-orcs. Half-orc trapper and the half-orc scoundrel, right? Even among half-orcs, that guy is a scoundrel. So in the heart of the camp, not in the outer parts of the camp, right? If anyone comes to the outer part of the camp, it would be sufficiently alarming. They would find, uh, you know, a brigand camp, and that would be bad. But in the inner portions of the camp, we can see that there are half-orcs in here. So we can see Saruman at work. So you can see first the, um, uh, the, the way that sort of Lotho and Saruman's plan has worked. Um, the men that Saruman is sending up to the north and, uh, uh, and whom, you know, Lotho is kind of, who are, who are working for Lotho and going to help Lotho consolidate his power as he begins to expand across the Shire. Um, but here, of course, we can see these reserves. Probably Lotho knows about this camp. Um, but, um, I love this scoundrel lounging right here at my feet. Um, yeah, but, um, but of course, as we come closer to uh, as we come, you know, within sort of the, 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 the deeper secret parts, we can see this is Saruman's, uh, this is Saruman's camp, right? These are Saruman's people. Even Lotho probably doesn't suspect the whole half-orc thing, right? Um, and again, I love the, the smashed up hobbit wagons, right? Clearly they have way late. You remember, of course, the wagons like this that were down at Waymeet, right? Um, you know, the idea of them having waylaid some of these, you know, beautiful hobbit wagons and hobbit families, right? And, uh, and the, you know, the wreckage of them is just kind of lying around here after they've been ransacked. There's another one over there. Uh, as really said, oh, look, there's the fireworks that they stole. Uh, there's a quest chain that comes to a comical conclusion here, as I recall. Uh, uh, Grifflet set off those fireworks, as I remember. Um, anyway, uh, so I love how they have this, 
so again, they've taken that one suggestion from Frodo. They've had some trouble with big people in the South Farthing. And here on the southern edge of the Shire, there are indeed problems with big folk. And again, if you start a hobbit and you play a hobbit at the early levels and, and, and are playing through this region, there are lots of side quests which can uh, introduce you to these. You know, the people down here are saying, uh, you know, they're all, they're all these big folk and they seem to be up to no good. Um, uh, and you get to, to sort of uncover uh at least some of the truth. Of course, nobody really understands it. Uh, there's even a quest chain where you actually uncover the connection between Saruman and the Shire. Um, you see how ships, uh, shipments of pipeweed are being sent down to Saruman at Orthanc. Um, but nobody's really in a position to understand the significance of it or what it means. Uh, but anyway, I just I love how uh, the Lotro folks have embedded all that stuff here. So you can see we're already for the scouring of the Shire, when we get to the scouring of the Shire, after we go to Mordor. Um, so, uh, that's, uh, everyone's asking what's going to come after Mordor. Obviously, that's the thing in the game that has to come after Mordor, right? Is, uh, uh, scouring the Shire, clearly. So, uh, we can all, we can all hope for that. Um, yeah, cool. All right. Um, well, I think we should... Uh, I've been keeping you late here this evening again, so we should probably end here. Uh, make sure that anybody who is under level and might need an escort out of here makes it safely to the outside, as this is rather a dangerous place to be standing for somebody who is, you know, under level 15 or whatever. Uh, but uh, uh, anyway, so I wanted to uh, follow up on that. Uh, again, this, so many times you can see that, you know, where they'll take a detail from the story and, and make sure to put that like the birch trees that we were talking about before. Um, or again, they'll just take this one line and make a whole storyline out of it. Right. Uh, and I, I love that. Okay. Thanks very much, everybody. Uh, next week, uh, Maven, remind me which, uh, um, which server are we on next week? I've totally forgotten. Here on Landerval again. Excellent. Okay. Very good. Uh, So we'll be on Landerval again next week. And next week we will do the walking song and we'll meet the elves. So so look forward to doing that with you guys next week. And thanks very much, everybody. See you later.